One of my most frequented sermon research tools is dictionary.com because I don't know a lot of big words. And according to dictionary.com, the word marginalize means to treat a person, group, or concept as insignificant or peripheral. I had to practice pronouncing the word peripheral for tonight as well. Marginalizing is a great strategic weapon, particularly with children when they get hurt. Because a kid falls down, the first thing they do is look to you to see if they should react, right? And so your kid falls down, they look at you, and the best thing you could do is marginalize the boo-boo, right? Treat it with as insignificant or peripheral. Say, get up, you're fine, rub dirt on it, right? We also see this in politics all the time. In order to gain support, a political figure may try to marginalize their opponent by calling them extreme and out of touch with the mainstream America. By doing this, they're trying to get people, voters, to see their opponent as insignificant or peripheral. So here's what I want to hit you with this evening. The adversary, that's the devil, he wants you to marginalize the advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. The adversary wants you to marginalize, treat as insignificant or peripheral the advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. The word margin means the edge or border of something. So whether it's a piece of paper or a piece of property, what is in the borders is what matters most to us. If something goes over the edge, if something crosses the line, then it can be dismissed as somebody else's problem. Satan wants you to push, listen, wants you to push the Holy Spirit out past the margins of your consciousness. Please hear me because this is important. Satan does not, cannot marginalize the Holy Spirit. He can't because he knows too much. His goal is to keep you marginalizing the Holy Spirit. It's the only way he can win. He's defeated. He's bound by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only way he can win now is by tricking you into ignoring the Holy Spirit, into pushing him out past your margins. And we do this, don't we? Because it's significantly easier to talk about God the Father who created the world and Jesus who died on the cross than it is to talk about the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost who does something. And so Jesus says something profound in John chapter 16 verse 7 that most of us do not believe. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, he starts by saying, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Aren't you glad Jesus points, makes a case that he's telling the truth? <laughs> Just in case you're worried about it, I'm telling you the truth this time. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This phrase, you'll see it in other ways and other translations. Anytime Jesus says truly, truly, or verily, verily, what he's saying is listen up because what I'm about to say really matters. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, just soak that in for a moment. Jesus looks at you and says, it's to your advantage that I go away. 
And then he explains why. If I do not go away, the helper, that's a capital H, it's another title for the Holy Spirit. If I do not go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In his excellent little book, The Spirit of the Living God, it's really just a a little Bible study on the Holy Spirit written by a, a great theologian by the name of Leon Morris. He says this, He says, probably most Christians at one time or another have thought to themselves, would it not be wonderful to have seen, been in Palestine during the time of our Lord? To have seen him as he went about doing good, to have heard him as he uttered his matchless parables, to have had close and immediate contact with the Lord himself, But Jesus tells us that we have, in point and fact, here in John 16, 7, something better than that. We have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, within our hearts, end quote. In other words, he says, don't you wish you could go back and be with Jesus? Wouldn't that be better? Jesus says it wouldn't be. Jesus says it's to your advantage that he is not here so you can have the Holy Spirit. J.D. Greer wrote a book called Jesus continued, dot, dot, dot. It's about the Holy Spirit. And his tagline is his own re, rewrite or paraphrase of John 16, 7. His tagline is called, Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than the Jesus Beside You. Why the Spirit Inside You is Better Than the Jesus Beside You. Now, most of us can find it in ourselves to really embrace and take seriously the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We can believe that stuff. But for many of us, it seems just a little naive to think that we right now are better off, have an advantage over the apostles when Jesus is with them. This is something Jesus has said rather clearly, but it's hard for us to truly intellectually believe, and yet Jesus says it anyway. Here's my suggestion to you today. We don't believe what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Part of our problem is we don't know that we're saved. Part of our problem is we're not completely convinced of the resurrection, and part of our problem is as Christians, we don't believe what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. Do you see how the adversary wants you to marginalize the advocate. Now, I'm going to get those two words mixed up, adversary and advocate, but you know what I mean, okay? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There's a lot of different meanings to that Hebrew word for hovering. The earth, uh, it's only used two other times in the Bible, and one of the times it's used, it's used of an eagle hovering over her eggs as they hatch. She's excited about them, and she's hovering over them as they come into the world, and she's going to oversee their growth. The Holy Spirit was hovering over creation as it was being created, whatever the meaning is, we must dispel of the simplistic view of creation that we have, that God did it all by himself. The Holy Spirit and Jesus were intimately involved. R.C. Sproul, in his excellent book, The Mystery of the Holy Spirit, I brought these so you guys could look at them if you want to because they're really good and they're really old, so a lot of people aren't into them anymore. 
uh, but it's so simple and so profound. He says the Holy Spirit, he's referencing this passage in Genesis, the Holy Spirit, listen, fills what is empty. He conquers, listen, the void. When his work is finished, the once lonely universe is teeming with a plethora of flora and fauna. The barren wasteland becomes a pulsating arena of life. Here, we need the Holy Spirit of God, listen, as the one who fills all things. Are you feeling empty tonight? The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. If I really want to speak Hebrew, I would say ruach. Right. I'm glad some of you got that. That was I was a little worried about that one, you know. Leon Morris says, it is plain that a throbbing note of power characterizes Ruach. Can you see why Satan wants you to marginalize the Holy Spirit? I think Paul hits it, hits the nail on the head. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Listen, when we marginalize the Holy Spirit, when we push him out of the borders, uh, past beyond the borders of our consciences, when we focus on Jesus and God and ignore his presence in our life right now, we ignore the power of the Christian life. The power of the Christian life that you need every single day, you ignore when you marginalize the Holy Spirit. So many Christians have nominal, pitiful faith because they are marginalizing the Holy Spirit, because I am marginalizing the Holy Spirit. Half of us don't even know if we're saved. How can we believe that the same power that resurrected Jesus and breathed creation into existence dwells within us? Listen, too many times we Christians feel powerless to confront our demons, powerless to share the gospel, powerless to live like Christ, even powerless to know the truth. And yet Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of what? Power and love and self-control. Micah 3.8, Micah the minor prophet, he says, but as for me, I am filled with power. What I mean is I'm filled with the spirit of the Lord. Do you see why the adversary wants you to marginalize the advocate? That's when you really start making a difference. That's when imagining more starts happening. I want to take you to another powerful account in John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. You've got to remember, Pharisees hate Jesus. They're constantly plotting to embarrass him, to discredit him, and ultimately to kill him. Nicodemus, it is most likely, we don't know for sure because the text doesn't say, but it's most likely that he comes to Jesus by night because he doesn't want his other buddies to know that he's going to talk to Jesus. Because while they want to reject Jesus, Nicodemus can't get past the fact that he's doing these miracles, that he seems to be so credible. And so he comes to Jesus, and he just blurts it out. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that comes from God. We know you come from God, which is a particularly condemning statement for the rest of the Pharisees. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. 
Under the surface of this statement, you can sense the desperate curiosity. Nicodemus is coming and he's looking at Jesus and he's saying, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Jesus knows Nicodemus' heart, so he cuts right to the chase. He says, truly, truly, once again, he's assuring everybody, I'm telling the truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, you're right, I come from God. This is what he sent me to say. Nicodemus gets confused. He asks the same question I would probably ask. He says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? There's a nice picture for you. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We use this phrase born again all the time, but what does it mean? What do you mean when you say born again? Do you simply mean my sins are forgiven? Do you simply mean Jesus has saved my soul? Do you simply mean that Jesus lives in my heart? Here Jesus says that the only way to be born again is to be born in the spirit. Jesus came to die for our sins and he rose again so that we might be reborn in the spirit. Leon Morris in his book, Spirit of the Living God, beautifully comments on this particular text. He says, Nicodemus may have been thinking, a man is the sum of all of his yesterdays. He is the man he is today because of all the experiences he's had in the past and because of his reaction to them. He is a bundle of successes and failures, of foolishness, of of bad habits, of sins, of negligences, of ignorances, of work and of play, of sorrows and of joys, of friendships and affections and lusts and wishes and hopes and fears and all the rest of those complicated things that go on to make up a human life. It would be wonderful for him to cut loose from all that is bad and limiting. It would be priceless. It would be a priceless gift, a good to be coveted above all others to be born again but it is quite unthinkable for physical births to be repeated. It is only to be mentioned to be seen for the utter absurdity that it is. And why should we think that moral and spiritual rebirths are any easier? How can a man's past, listen, how can a man's past possibly be blotted out? To be born again would be magnificent, but dot, dot, dot. End quote. When we marginalize the Holy Spirit, we ignore the one who renews us. Why did Jesus come? Why did he die for our sins? Why did he come out of his own grave? He did all of this so that we might become temples of God himself. To be saved means to be a vessel of the Holy Spirit. A couple of months ago, along with billions of people across the planet, I saw the new Avengers movie. Has anybody seen it? Nobody. Oh, okay, good. Three, yeah, three of you. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. It's kind of a big deal. You might want to check it out. It's good. Anyway, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but there's a line in the movie where one of the heroes says this. He says, I need to stop trying to be who I'm supposed to be and be who I am. Think about that for a moment. I need to stop trying to be who I'm supposed to be and be who I am. Now, that sounds good. 
because it's relieving, right? I don't need to face any of my weaknesses. I don't need to worry about becoming something else. I don't need to worry about the pressures and expectations. I'm just going to be me, right? I think the way we say it these days is you do you, right? You be who you think you are. We say things like follow your heart. But the problem is we live in a culture today that's great messages, you be what you want to be, and we also live in a culture today where the suicide rates and depression medication prescriptions are higher than ever before. Because everyone thinks that the freedom comes when they accept the lie that they can never be changed. That they can never be transformed. That they're doomed to be the same thing they are from today until they die. And it's everywhere. Why is the Holy Spirit in your life? Listen, Jesus loves you the way you are. He'll meet you the way, right where you are. He'll say, I don't condemn you. But then he'll say, go and sin no more. He loves you too much to leave you the same. He wants to make you into something new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 talks about being transformed by the renewal of your mind. J.B. Phillips in his classic work, Your God is Too Small, puts it this way, and I quote, Every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean that we believe that there is a living God able to and willing to enter human personality and change it, end quote. And yet I've heard people say to me, that whatever the sin it is that they're struggling with, they say something like this, it's simply who I am. I can't change it. As if God is powerless, as if the Holy Spirit is a myth. Listen, the goal in life is not for you to just be the same person you've always been. The goal in life is to find your true self. And C.S. Lewis will tell you, if you search for yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you search for God, there you will find your true self. It is only, listen, it is only the Holy Spirit that it's going to help you arrive to the person you were meant to be. Because it's only your creator. Who knows why he made you? And so we end up with all of these misguided cradles for our identities. And at the end of all the fanfare and at the end of all the praise, we discover that these new identities are still not enough to fill that void in our hearts. Do you see why the adversary wants you to marginalize the, whole, the advocate? The next one we see, I want to I go back to that, to that tagline from uh, J.D. Greer's book, why the, the spirit inside you is better than the Jesus beside you. And I want to compare the disciples when Jesus was with them to the disciples after Jesus had left and the Holy Spirit was there. Okay, so when Jesus was with the disciples, they were pitiful. They argued about who was going to be best in heaven. These are adult men, right, arguing about who's going to be best in heaven. They fell asleep when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. Jesus seemed to be constantly asking them why they had such little faith, even after they had seen him do a crazy amount of miracles. Did you just see me walk on water? Did you just see me calm down the weather? Did you just see me raise the dead? Why do you have such little faith? In fact, at one point, Jesus just goes, how much longer do I have to be around these guys? 
Like, I could just see him, like, looking up at heaven like, God, you just take me now. <laughs> These guys are making me crazy. And then, of course, when Jesus was in his greatest moment of need, they all ran away. They all ran away. And in today's world, we would look at that situation and say, oh, they showed their true colors. But suddenly they changed. Suddenly they went into the streets and they started preaching in Jesus' name. Suddenly they became courageous and profoundly effective. They went from one place in Matthew where they couldn't even drive out one demon to being used to raise the dead themselves. What changed? There's this passage in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. This is the first thing or the last thing that Jesus says to the disciples after he's raised from the dead. He shows up. They see Jesus resurrected. And look at what he says. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. What is he saying? He's saying, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit gets here. <laughs> You'll mess stuff up. Just wait right here until the helper comes. And then Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way. And what happens moments after the Holy Spirit's arrival, Peter preaches the first gospel sermon, and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. Do you see why the adversary wants you to marginalize the advocate? When we marginalize the Holy Spirit, we ignore the one who gives us purpose. We ignore the one who gives us our purpose. One more. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. The last thing Jesus says to his disciples is, I will be with you to the very end of the age. We love Hebrews 13, 5, because Jesus has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. These are the passages that give us comfort, right? God says he's never going to leave us. God says he's always with us. Well, how do you think God is, tr is true to that promise? How do you think he keeps it? Via the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit within us, we simply cannot be closer to God. And yet so many of us live and feel as if he's a million miles away. When we marginalize the Holy Spirit, we ignore fellowship with God. Randy Garris is one of, uh, one of my uh, favorite preachers. He's from Joplin, Missouri. And, and he once gave a talk about God's presence in our lives. And he, he pointed to 2 Kings chapter 6. Elijah is a prophet, and he's surrounded by a Syrian army. They send a whole army to take this one prophet out. It's just him and his servant. His servant comes running to Elisha, and he says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? We're surrounded. Verse 16, Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. At this point, the servant must have thought, Man, I must be betting on the wrong horse. Because he goes out and he looks around and he sees a whole army of bad guys. And it's just him and this old prophet. He's like, man, maybe this guy can't count. And then Elisha prays. He says, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes, the young man, and he looks out and he saw. Listen, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Randy Garris said that we are just as much in the presence of God right now as we will be in heaven. The difference is our eyes aren't open yet. Randy Garris said one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to see God and we're going to say, wow, I didn't know you were there. Which is kind of sad. 
Because Jesus told us to. Jesus told us to. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Moses. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the burning bush. Moses encounters God at the burning bush, and Randy Garris gave me a whole new perspective on the story. He said, you know, God didn't just, that, that bush didn't light on fire because God showed up. He said that, that, that ground was holy before God ever came, or before Moses ever came, because God was always there. And it was holy after Moses left. God lit the bush on fire, listen, to let Moses know he was there. And so Randy Garris says, every morning, when I get up in the morning, I pray, and I say, God, you don't have to burn any bushes today. I know you're there. And he went on to say, every step you take is holy ground because you are now the temple. You are now the sanctuary. It used to be that people had to travel to the sanctuary to meet God. Now you are the place where people can come to meet God. Do you see why the adversary wants you to marginalize the advocate? Do you remember when the boy David goes up against this giant warrior Goliath with nothing but a few small stones? No armor, no sword, no shield, no battle experience. His brothers and the rest of the soldiers and King Saul himself don't want to go fight this guy. So this shepherd goes to fight this guy. Why did he have so much confidence? He believed something very simple. Listen. He believed the Lord was with him. And then he defeated a giant. Do you see why the adversary wants you to marginalize the advocate? Man, I could keep going. I want to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 that says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We can't be free without the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about how Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the one who, convince, who convicts us of our sin. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us where we need to grow, that serves us as our spiritual nervous system, warning us of when we're going in the wrong direction. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as a teacher and how he, can't, he helps us understand Scripture. I want to talk about 1 Corinthians telling us that we have the mind of Christ in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about Romans chapter 8 telling us that we don't even know how to pray without the Holy Spirit. Listen, the adversary wants you to marginalize the advocate. And so I'm just going to give you a few real quick tips to get you started against this marginalizing. The first one is this. Treat the Holy Spirit like a person because he is a person. He is not an it. Think of him in those terms. Second, Study what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Read scriptures about the Holy Spirit and simply write down two things. How is the Holy Spirit described in this text and what does the Holy Spirit do in this text? In your notes, I've given scripture and books that can help you study and get to know the Holy Spirit a little bit more. Thirdly, talk to the Holy Spirit. Talk to him and call on him because he's there. At the beginning of our conversation, we defined the word margin as the edge or border. There's a second definition that I have saved for now for dramatic effect. The second definition goes like this. A margin is an amount by which a thing is won. This year, Virginia beat Texas Tech in the NCAA championship 85-77. to 77. 
they won by a margin of eight points. That meant all the difference for their victory. There's actually a second part to the second definition of margin that I've also reserved because of dramatic effect. Margin is an amount by which a thing is won or falls short. Texas Tech lost by a margin of eight points. The Holy Spirit is the margin by which we win or fall short. Your awareness of and dependence on and relation to the Holy Spirit will make all the difference in everything. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to be vessels of your holy presence. God, forgive us when we take that for granted, when we marginalize him. God, forgive us when we live in fear rather than power, when we live as if we're defeated rather than you've won the victory. God, I pray that as we leave this place, we would have a greater awareness of your presence in our lives. God, I pray that we would start to see the power of your Holy Spirit within our hearts and souls and minds. We'll forever pray in Jesus' name. Amen.